It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Pete Mazzoni with Jeremy Kate. The new 13th Congressional District sprawls across a wide expanse of south-central Pennsylvania encompassing 10 counties. It's a large area, but with a relatively sparse population. Historically, the area has been represented mostly by Republicans, and Democrats are rarely even seen on the ballot. But this election year, voters do have a choice. Our guest today, Democrat Brent Ottaway, will be on November's ballot facing newcomer Republican candidate John Joyce, who was the favorite of longtime retiring Representative Bill Schuster. Ottaway was born and raised in Cory, Pennsylvania, and now resides in Hollidaysburg. Since 1990, he's been on the faculty at St. Francis University in Loretto. His candidacy comes at a crossroads for our democracy. Washington is being upended by a lack of oversight from Congress and a White House under siege by endless investigations and successful prosecutions. There is little to no check on the executive branch. The news, on a daily basis, is a draining chorus of chaos and disorder fueled by a single Twitter account. Our leaders have fallen out of the constraining balance the Constitution mandates. This vote in November is one that must work to show our belief in the checks and balances the founders envisioned. And with that, Brent Ottaway, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. No problem. So I want to start out, campaigns are expensive. How are, how is your campaign funded? We are uh, a grassroots campaign. Uh, We uh, have uh, almost entirely uh, contributions from individuals or or, uh, families and uh, they tend to be (laughs) relatively small amounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, we are opposed to uh, the the way campaigns have moved in recent years where uh, large corporations and and PACs and dark money uh, tend to uh, tend to rule. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're, we're proud of the fact that we don't have as much uh, money to work with as our, our competitor because he's, he's tapping into all of those sources that, uh, that we don't have an interest in. Mm-hmm. But that makes you not beholden to the corporations and the lobbyists, but truly, I won't say beholden, but truly have to answer to that, that voter who will give you $10 or who will give you $15, whatever the case may be. Absolutely, that's that's the uh, the idea here, and I believe that was the way it was intended to be. Uh, yes, I believe. It <laughs> once was. upon a time, before we learned that uh, money was speech. And, exactly, and the corporations are people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Confusing turn of events there. Yes. So, in traveling the district, uh, the thirteenth, what have you learned about? The constituents, the people. I mean, you, the conversations you're having. You know, what are you learning? I'm learning that um, it is not as conservative a district as I thought it was going into it. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean yes, uh, Republican voters out, outnumber Democrats by a wide margin, but a lot of them are not uh, ideological Republicans. They were uh, they were born into it mm-hmm. or a great many of them, although the district went to Donald Trump by a, right. a large margin, uh, a lot of those uh, voters uh, have uh, expressed second thoughts uh, about that that particular uh, election. It's been an interesting experience. Uh, 
there are more Democrats than the Democrats in the district tend to think there mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'll be in the neighborhood, I'll, I'll knock on a door and talk to the residents, and, and they'll say, well, yes, we're, we're Democrats, but we don't say it out loud in the neighborhood. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have a, a sheet that tells me the voter registrations, and I know that there are, you know, five or six other houses on the street that have Democrats who are also going to tell me the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so there's a perception that it's it's overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly uh, Republican, and uh, I think the Democrats are starting to discover. Well, wait, there there are more of us. I think more than any time in the in nearly 30 years I've lived in this region, mm -hmm. uh, people are starting to to speak up and connect. Uh, you know, from uh, from different points of view. Mm -hmm. And so, in speaking to these. I'll say born into it conservatives. How do you go about kind of trying to draw them towards your positions? Uh, it varies. It depends on what what gets us started on the on the conversation. Often they will approach with uh, a question about a particular issue, and that leads to a larger conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but I I like to point out that. You know, we are not as different as, as they may think. You know, everything is on a continuum. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows we need regulation. Everyone knows too much regulation is, is suffocating for business. Well, somewhere in the middle is the right amount mm -hmm. of regulation. We could, for example, we could make cars almost perfectly safe. We could probably rid the nation of auto fatalities almost. But the price to do that would be stifling. And, and uh, so, you know, trade-offs are, are made. Now, if you leave those trade-offs up to the corporations themselves, you'll have things such as uh, pintos with gas tanks that explode. Right, right. Uh, you know, some oversight is needed, some regulation is needed. On the other hand, if you go too far with it, um, you know, it stifles things. So we're just at, at different places on the continuum and topic to topic, the distance between us varies, but often it's not as, as great as they might expect. Are regulations, uh, government regulations, something you're hearing uh, you're the constituents complaining about from the uh, conservative side of the aisle? Uh, yes, that's one of the, you know, the, the favorite things they bring up is, uh, you know, well, you know, Democrats just want regulations everywhere. And, you know, this administration is throwing away regulations and, and freeing up business and well they certainly are doing that I would argue that in many cases it's careless and not thought fully through when they do that are they specific and when they bring up regulations because it seems like a very vast topic seldom are are voters I talk to specific about anything mm -hmm. frankly yeah. uh, you know people tend to talk in generalities when it comes to to politics and uh, I like to move us toward more specifics because I think it, it makes it more real. Yes. You know, it's easy to just rely on stereotypes. Uh, so let's get down and, and you know, talk about mm -hmm. uh, specific instances. And, and that tends to go well when, when we can move in that direction. Well, not only that, you're having a more productive conversation, you know. It is an actual conversation. Right. Then. Yes. About something tangible. Yes. So you're traveling the district. Are you seeing any demographic shifts? Are you seeing more young people come out? Are you seeing more people of color? Uh, are you seeing any changes? Or does the district kind of look like it's the same as it's always been? 
I can't really answer that because uh, until February, I didn't travel this district. Mm-hmm, you know, sure. I was just another Pennsylvanian uh, who occasionally would would uh, cross the state for one reason or another, rather than uh, you know spend almost every day driving to another another location. Is so, that what it's like every day? You got to get up and it's probably uh, now it's five days a week I, that I have something and I could, oh, wow. I could seven days if I, mm-hmm. if I could make the time for it. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. There are, t- yeah, as you said, 10 counties involved and, uh, and they all, you know, they do all deserve time. You yeah. have to go out and, and meet people and, and talk to people, uh, you know, throughout. Sure. Now your pathway to success, I would imagine has to involve independent voters. It does. And so, when you talk to independent voters, where do their issues come in, and what do you think the message that will bring them over to you would be? You know, frankly, the independents that I talk to are mostly independent because they're disgusted with both parties. Right. Uh, so the way I've managed to connect with them is that uh, I am not a politician. I'm not a career politician. I am a, a someone who is going to approach this uh, thoughtfully and realistically, and is a moderate. Frankly, I'm. Mm-hmm. I used to be a Republican. My myself, really? I was interesting. And, and the college I went to, Grove City College, is one of the most conservative uh, colleges in the in the state, mm-hmm. if if not the nation. And. Over time, I feel that the, the party left me. You know, at one, at one point, I thought that uh, what appealed to me most was the fiscal responsibility of the Republicans. And uh, in this century, that has gone out the window. They no, yeah, longer, they, they no longer stand for that. No, and it's been booming. The cycles have been boom and bust. The bust usually happens under a Republican administration. So you saw the fiscal conservatism wasn't true. And so you began to look at the Democratic Party, and what happened? Uh, well, the, frankly, the Democratic Party irritated me as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you just can't be satisfied. Can no, you? I'm, I'm difficult. I, in many ways, for, for many, many years, I identified as an independent mm-hmm. who um, registered as, as a Republican and then later as a Democrat because, you know, as an independent, I was frustrated at not getting to vote in primaries. Right, that's and, the big drawback uh, of that. Right. So the, the, the independents, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are just uh, really frustrated with politics. I mean, Congress has a 17 percent approval rating among the American public. And yet we send the same people back mm-hmm. time and time again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in recent years, they've moved more and more to the extremes, to the corners where they, they shout past each other, but they don't mm-hmm. work together at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what I bring is is an ability to uh, to work with people and even people I disagree with and uh, and to reach good solutions and that's been true in my my public service as well as uh, my my work life. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about that dirty word compromise. Yes, that does need to be brought back into the political sphere. Uh, I completely agree. Um, Looking at Pennsylvania, we have an example for you of the Connor Lamb candidacy. Did you learn anything from that? Are there any takeaways that you have been able to uh, leverage? You know, people say, well, you need to take up, you know, the positions that Connor Lamb took uh, because he managed to finesse 
his way to the position. I don't think it was that finessing as much as it was uh, the energy of his supporters. Mm-hmm. I mean, the army of people who went out and knocked on doors and talked to other people mm-hmm. uh, on his behalf uh, is what turned that tide, if, mm-hmm. if you ask me. And I've, my district touches on the one that, that uh, elected him, and uh, I've talked to a lot of people who were among those who went out and knocked on doors and, and stood up and, and declared, hey, I'm for this guy, mm-hmm. and here is why. And you know that's what carried the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what about some of these issues, let's call them the hot-button issues that tend to galvanize the electorate? Uh, do you? Uh, how are you working with some of these issues? Are you neutralizing them? Are you adopting them? Are you? What's the approach? It depends on the issue. I, I don't have a strategy of okay, let's let's play everything down the middle as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at what I think are logical approaches. To use the obvious example in this district is uh, the Second Amendment. I am a supporter of the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. That said, I do not agree with everything that the National Rifle Association wants me to agree with to, mm-hmm. to support me. Uh, there needs to be more done to, uh, to prevent uh, the, the abuse of, of ownership rights. Mm-hmm. You know, there needs to be uh, universal background checks and uh, limits on, on some types of, of weapons and so on. And again, back to that continuum idea, that already exists. You know, there are some weapons you can't have. It's just a right. matter of where we move that line. And the NRA uh, takes the position that any movement at all is a betrayal right. of the Second Amendment, and that's just simply not true. And what I find is most people are reasonable about that. They are not hardline on on it. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I'm from a family of hunters. I think you should be able to you know, own handguns for your own protection if you know what you're doing and take proper precautions. But there need to be common sense restrictions. So there are some people that are just, you know, all or nothing on, on right. that. But I, I don't think it's that way. I don't think it's that way with, with any uh, of the amendments, for example. First Amendment also. I'm a big supporter. They all of, have limitations. Right. You're, 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 you're completely right. So that sounds like you're, with your moderate position, this, this is a moderate position on guns. So, yeah. Okay. okay uh, I want to get into your platform and some of the issues from your website. Uh, we'll start with jobs and infrastructure. I don't think this issue gets anywhere near the amount of energy it deserves for the state of Pennsylvania, specifically uh, infrastructure. Uh, you don't have to live here long and drive around on these roads for very long to realize that we've got problems. So how do you plan to approach infrastructure improvement in the district? You're absolutely right. That's a, a very important thing and, and one that I am, in fact, in the process of, of working on. Tomorrow I'm going to Harrisburg to meet with uh, some people who have proposed an infrastructure bank uh, as a way of funding infrastructure uh, improvements. And it's a somewhat novel approach to it, and I'll talk more about it after, after we meet. But my uh, committee and I have been looking into this, and I, I think it's got a lot of potential. I would add that I see infrastructure as going well beyond what we typically think of, you know, bridges, roads, uh, water treatment, and so on. 
I think we need to upgrade the power grid. I think we need to provide, and I think this is very big in this district, uh, we need to have good, fast broadband internet access available reliably Mm -hmm. throughout the entire nation. Mm -hmm. And that is no longer a luxury, you know, for people to participate in this economy. Uh, I really think that we need to to upgrade in, in that area as well. So I think there's lots of opportunity there and I'm dismayed that after lots of talk that the uh, current administration and the Republicans in Congress have really done nothing to bring about in- infrastructure investment, which is a, really a win-win. It provides jobs, mm-hmm. and by improving uh, living conditions and operating conditions, it enables more businesses to get underway. Right, 100%. Um, to your idea of this bank, are you familiar with the Highway Trust Fund? Yes. Okay, so... At this point, they were set up in 1956. Uh, Congress could pay for projected highway mass transit spending by simply raising the federal tax rate on gasoline and diesel fuel. One cent increase would fund the trust fund, which is going to be operating on a deficit shortly. They provide a quarter of the spending for the states. The remaining three quarter has to be made up to the states. Should you get to Congress? Is this something that you're going to press them to do, to raise taxes on gas so the trust fund can be funded fully? At this point, I will say that I believe that it should be funded fully, mm-hmm. that it is uh, the right direction to go. It puts the emphasis on the user. Uh, I think where it's going to become tricky soon is uh, with the proliferation of electric cars that don't use gasoline and you know, how will those car owners support the infrastructure, the roadways and everything mm-hmm. in the same way? And I think for the time being, it's fine that they get a, a pass on that uh, because that, that is part of what makes, uh, makes it attractive to buy an electric car, which is, I think, the right direction for, for mm-hmm. us to go. So would you advocate for a, uh, a tax increase on gas then to, you know, for the state? Also, I know that's a tricky thing, but on the other hand, who's going to pay for the roads? Yeah. Well, from the states, uh, you know, the three quarters of that, that's the state, that's not going to be for me to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, uh, as I say, think we need to invest more in infrastructure and less in uh, tax breaks for wealthy individuals, for example. Right, right, right. All right. Now to jobs in the district. Uh at least here in Franklin County, the unemployment rate is is very low at around 4%. Um, I'm sure you're visiting parts of the district maybe aren't doing as well. What would be a general plan for improving the situation? You're right, and it does vary from, from county to county in the district uh, quite a bit. Uh, and I, I think there are a couple of things. Uh, we have some legacy industries that that aren't providing the, the number of jobs uh, that they used to. And we need to, to look ahead and not look backward. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I, I talk about is my feeling that Washington has been waging a war on the future. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, um, I think, uh, looking backward and, and not looking at, all right, what what are the jobs of the future going to be? And uh, so I think that involves 
among other things, involves improved uh, training mm -hmm. uh, and retraining for, for people. Mm -hmm. uh, President Trump spoke of revitalizing the coal industry, and that has a very proud heritage in this district, of course, and it's still an important industry. But the solar industry, providing solar energy, employs currently more than twice as many people as the coal industry does. And people don't recognize that mm -hmm. a, a whole lot. But I think there are opportunities that are not being seized because people are looking backward rather than, than forward. What do you think that impulse is? I mean, as a parent, and you're a parent, we want a better future for our kids. It's a very odd proposition to hear the president say, no, we need to revive this industry that is going to be phased out at some point and not fund this industry that is the future. What is your take on that? I think it varies uh, from, you know, depending on who's, who's talking. Uh, in his case, uh, I think that, that there's this vague notion of, of some point in the past when America was, uh, was great and mm -hmm. that somehow we are no longer are. Uh, I think with most people, you know, it's expedient to, to do the easy things. And, and it's so much easier to uh, give a tax break to people now and worry about paying for it later, okay, as, as we saw with the, the trillion and a half dollars that, uh, you know, largely went to corporations who, rather than create as many jobs as was hoped, bought up their own stock with it. Um, you know, that's, that's misdirected money, and it's something that we will eventually have to deal with down the road. So I think it's, you know, it's easier to take that short-term approach, especially for people who are career politicians and are, for them, the future is defined as uh, between now and my next election. Right, right. How, what is your understanding of how that tax cut's being paid for? It's not. Exactly. It's not being paid <laughs> it's like, for. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just being added, added into the, uh, to the growing deficit. And it's just so wrong, uh, especially after all the rhetoric of helping, uh, you know, helping regular people out. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why, you know, the Republicans are not campaigning on it as they thought they would be, because the people are smarter than they gave them credit for. Mm -hmm. And people recognize that, mm -hmm. well, wait a minute. You said this was for, you know, for the average working people, and sure, we have a, you know, another 40 or $60 in a paycheck or whatever, but if our kids are going to end up paying Which for this, will. and it, the money is mostly going to the people who already have mm -hmm. most of the money in the, uh, in the country, then that, that was not a smart move to make, and that's where I think we are. Mm -hmm. Now... On the, uh, jumping around a little bit here, the, uh, the tariffs and the farmers about to get some aid, is that impacting the state? Oh, without a doubt, the tariffs are impacting the state. And I would say in, in a couple of ways, uh, from, simply from the standpoint of trade and business, it's harmful. You know, essentially you are imposing taxes, yeah. uh, but on very particular products and, and areas. And you are getting in a, a spitball fight that leads other countries, many of them our friends, to do the same. I've been on, on several farms. I've been to uh, Farm Bureau events. I've talked to a lot of people in the agricultural industry in this district, which is very, you know, a very important part of this district. And uh, to a person, those uh, involved in agriculture that I've spoken to have said, you know, these tariffs are hurting us. 
or uh, you know our brethren and and others in this industry, and we don't want uh, a bailout, you know, a temporary one-time right. thing to, to buy us off until the election. We want uh, you know we want sensible uh, management at mm-hmm. at the federal level, and that's that's not occurring. Mm-hmm. The second uh, thing I think is that the approach toward tariffs reflects uh, the administration's approach toward uh, global issues altogether. And that is uh, the president's simplistic view of, of things. Okay, let's keep Muslims out of the country. Uh, you know, all, all people uh, from the, the countries to our south are uh, rapists and murderers right. and, and on and on have, contrary to the promises of making America great, have made America insignificant. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have uh, damaged our standing in the world uh, immeasurably already. It's it's astonishing uh, when you you talk to people who have been traveling or uh, who live abroad, uh, you know, how far we have fallen so quickly in, in terms of our influence, in terms of our, our moral standing, uh, and you know, randomly picking fights with our allies and uh, you know, alienating those who have helped to protect us and trade with us, uh, and then embracing uh, countries that have largely been seen as foes, it makes no sense whatsoever. And we, it's going to take a long time to build back to a world where we, uh, through diplomacy and measured actions, can uh, return to the prominence we, we once had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going around tearing up uh, partnerships and alliances is not really the way to conduct international negotiations. <laughs> I think we can all agree with that. <laughs> right. All right, let's move on to one of the next part of your platform, education. Now, as mentioned in the bio at the start of the show, uh, you're an educator. And the first thing I want to talk about in regards to that is what is your take on where students, as young voters, where they are in looking at the state of our nation? Well, uh, they are more energized, I think, than than they have been in my adult life. It's been uh, a great thing to see, uh, in my view, because I think that everyone should take an interest in in events that shape their world, their, sure. their nation. And when you are young, it's easy to, uh, to tune all of that out. And traditionally, you know, that's, that's, that's an American tradition in recent decades. And to see people out there and, and not just going to a protest to cut class or something, but, but who are doing this with feeling and, and with passion and with, with logic, you know, mm-hmm. are, are often expressing... <laughs> their views better than some of the politically opposed uh, politicians that they run up against. Uh, it's, it's really been heartening. And I've seen it on, on our campus. I've seen it uh, in the public schools. One morning I was uh, at work reading in the, the newspaper and I uh, read an article about the students doing a walkout uh, in protest. And 
read that uh, my son was one of the organizers. This, mm -hmm. <laughs> he hadn't mentioned it to me. Okay. Uh, the, you know, I discovered it in the morning paper, but I was proud that he, you know, it was an issue he felt strongly about, and so he, he got involved in it. And I think that's become, you know, more, more typical, more accepted, and I think it's going to change the face of the nation. I really do. What's, what are the issues that are really driving them? Uh, well, a lot of it is the the, the gun okay. issues, of course. Okay, sure. uh, you know the the reactions to the school well, they're shootings. they're seeing their and generation uh, get slaughtered. Right, and 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 incidentally, on that count, I uh, know enough teachers and have spoken with enough teachers to to say I think with confidence that arming the the teachers is not the solution <laughs> yeah okay so I'll, I'll go on the i'll go on the record with absolutely that. ridiculous yeah right yeah right so all right let's get into education in the state of pennsylvania mm -hmm. uh u.s news and world report ranks our state 38th in education overall and last for higher education what do you think can be done uh this is uh, this is ultimately a, a money issue i'm guessing or uh, what's the approach well, that's, uh, there's a lot that needs to be done. It's, it's interesting to, to hear uh, that the state is ranked last in higher education, given the number of colleges and universities that we have in this, in this state. You know, there are, there are lots. Uh, I was going to guess. I do the agree with you. It seems like you can't throw a stone without hitting a college. Yeah, yeah. Even in our little town here. Right. So I think a lot of there are a lot of issues facing higher ed today, uh, m most of which have to do with money, mm. and uh, the increasing cost of it. And uh, what is driving that those costs? I mean, I, in my lifetime, I feel like I've seen college go from something that could be paid for reasonably to it's a mortgage on a very, very nice home. Yes, you're right. And it's something that, you know, I've been at uh, the college where I teach for 28 years and I've, I've seen this happen. And I think there are a number of factors involved. One is it became an arms race of sorts uh, to provide more and better for the students. Okay, nicer dorm rooms with more more extras, you know, first it was cable TV, then, you know, internet access, and on and on it really? goes. And the health centers had to be nicer and, and better. Because I was thinking it would have been a better library with more books and more classes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, 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 that's a good one. That's, that's adorable when you say things like that. Um, although, actually, that is another area that I think there have been expansions of programs and additional faculty you know I know that our, our number of faculty have increased far more than the number of students that we have but that's also true with administrators mm -hmm. and uh, you know at a lot of schools like like ours someone will propose a new a new job if, well if we have this assistant to the advising director that'll you know if we just keep two more students that will pay for that salary you know so it's worthwhile well, when you have dozens of these positions being added, you know, you're not saving enough students and to, to pay for them. you created a bureaucratic monster. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's, it's really grown out of control and that uh, you're going to see some, you know, a lot of cost-cutting measures. Now, in the uh, K through 12 uh, area or, or pre-K through 12, uh, that's another matter. And 
uh, I am enormously frustrated, and I speak as, a, as someone who has raised five children, someone who served two terms on the public school board in the Hollidaysburg area, followed by two terms on uh, Penmont Academy board, which is a Montessori school in my town. You know, I, I come to these views you know, in a pretty well-informed way. We need to uh, provide adequate funding to all schools. It is the inequities among school funding mm -hmm. uh, from district to district and school to school is absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. that, needs to be, that needs to be fixed. The answer is not uh, vouchers, okay, which will take some kids from, from schools Right, so we're talking about charter schools. Right, mm -hmm. for, for charters. Now, charters have a place, and I think that they are... What is the role of the charter school? Well, I think a, a charter school ought to be uh, a place to try new, new approaches, new techniques, or to, uh, to provide a better education for students with a particular area of, of, of interest to some degree. Mm -hmm. Too many of them... Uh, are profit centers. You know, I, I think the going with uh, private solutions is good in some areas, but not for education. The profit motive uh, corrupts the process. Right. And, you know, you're answering not to the parents and the, the students, but you're answering to your shareholders, mm -hmm. your, your ownership, and that you know, and something as crucial as education is not the way it ought to be. It skews the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And and that profit motive gets in in the way when it comes to education. And that's why, you know, having a, a secretary of education who, uh, you know, doesn't know public schools and, you know, is simply there to wreck the, you know, the system mm -hmm. and uh, bring it, usher in a, a glorious era of private uh, enterprise and vouchers, is really way off base and is doing a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. Just like the huge emphasis on high-stakes testing has been a mistake. The no child left behind? Let's talk about that. Okay. I think uh, it began as a, kind of a backhanded way to try to get vouchers, frankly. How so? Um, by, by creating a situation where schools uh, would fail, would be acknowledged as failures, and that that w would allow you to say, okay, you know, all these students in the school can now go and we'll pay for them to go, you know, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm not saying all for-profit education is bad, but right. there's, there's a lot of it that is, and that goes all the way up into to higher ed. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, you know, I was on the school board when No Child Left Behind blossomed, and it was a nightmare for the schools, for the teachers. I have, I have spoken to a number of teachers, including some I consider among the best my children ever had, who have left teaching because of the frustrations. You know, uh, those tests squeeze the life out of, out of learning. Let me interrupt you just for background. No Child Left Behind. Talk about what that program specifically is. Legislation... Uh, you know, pushed by George W. Bush and that essentially came up with a way of rating schools and the quality 
and did not take into account all the different factors that are involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the support that children get at home uh, right. and, and other factors. A million variables. So there are so many variables that you cannot have an accurate enough measure to mm-hmm. to justify the kinds of, of drastic moves of, you know, saying some schools can just send people elsewhere and, and some can't. Mm-hmm. So to your uh, conversation about, you know, some charter schools work, uh, here in Chambersburg, we have what's called a magnet school. The magnet school is attached to a vocational technology school. Um, this seems to be a model that, I don't know, if is it repeated around the district? Because, okay, because I know that this is for high-performing students, and it also allows students who want to take a non-traditional path. Um, is this something that should be funded more heavily? I think it is. I don't think college is the answer for everybody anymore. It, you know, college is not the answer for everybody, and especially right out of high school. Mm-hmm. You know, even for a lot of people for whom college is the answer, eventually it's not at the age of 17 or 18 right, or, or 19. There's a maturity issue there. Yes, for mm-hmm. a great many. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, the kind of uh, magnet school you talk about is uh, available elsewhere in the district. There's, uh, for example, Goodwin in Bedford County that uh, takes people interested in vocations and not ready for college and, and not wanting to go to college prep kinds of things and really immerses them in trades and, and uh, skills that, that will benefit them. You know, we need a variety of, you know, we have a variety of people who want to do many different things, so we need to let, do our best to help all of them be successful. Last issue on this, uh, student debt. This issue needs to be addressed. These numbers keep going the wrong way. Uh, What would be your approach in Congress to address student debt? I think there are uh, a few things that, that can be done. Um, I think the spending and the, the uh, increasing tuition is being reined in somewhat finally. But uh, the, the debt, uh, for one thing, it's, it should not be uh, stickier than other debt. For example, it, you know, uh, in a bankruptcy, it should be more easily discharged and so on. Uh, but I do believe that the government should subsidize um, loans, mm-hmm. you know, for for higher education. Uh, and you know, I'm four of my students, my children are are graduating with or have graduated with with debt, uh, you know, far more than I accumulated yeah, in well. all of my schooling. Yeah. And uh, and that's. You know that's having an impact. People can't uh, can't buy homes as as young as they otherwise might, and other things. So uh, I don't have all the answers to that, but I am interested in in speaking with people who think they do, and and uh, you know implementing some some things to because we can't ignore it. No, we can't. All right, I know we're running out of time here, and of course uh, the biggest one for last. I know that the voters are concerned about their health care. That is the biggest one. You know, as, as I've traveled the district over the last um, six months and, and talked to people, I, at every location I hear somebody tell a version of the story. We had been saving for retirement by way of our, our mortgage. You know, we had money, we had equity in our home. And then my spouse came down with this illness or had this accident and recovered, but it wiped us out. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it not only 
wiped out our savings, but also what we had, uh, you know, we had to take out a second mortgage and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that is, is so painful. Mm -hmm. and, and just speaking to, to people, looking you in the eye and telling you that story, mm -hmm. and you see that what it has done to them. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not necessary. We can, and, and as much money as we spend on healthcare, we could be providing quality healthcare to all Americans, and we need to do that. And I'm committed to that. That's so you're one of, Medicare for all? Uh, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. um, in one sense or another, we, we need to supply quality healthcare to all Americans. It will pay off in so many different ways, and it's a crime that we... Uh, for so long have, have ignored that and let a lot of people go without. And I think it's frustrating to see, you know, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, was, was done by one party because the other party wouldn't cooperate. The other party took power and did not have a better answer. Despite talking about it for six or seven years, they couldn't wait to, to tear it apart. And so what they're doing now is, is tearing it apart slowly and piece by piece. Do you think that when they get to the pre-existing conditions, that's going to be a tipping point? I do, and I think it's already, it's already there. Uh, it's such a complex issue. Yeah. It's, it's hard for people to wrap their heads around it, and it's hard for me to, and I've, I've read so much on this and talked to so many people, but that part of it people get. Yes. Wait, if I have if I have an illness and I'm not going to be able to get health care or it's going to cost me an incredible amount of money uh, just to get by, uh, you know, if people are rationing their um, their insulin because they can't afford it, you know, insulin has doubled in price in the last four to six years, uh, you know, that should not be happening. And not in the, one of the richest countries in the world. Exactly. And that's that's a confusing part of it to me is that, you know, I don't know why this issue is not easier, you know, why people say, yeah, of course, we should have health care. You know, of course, no one should go bankrupt because they got sick. It's a very confusing issue. Uh, are the people you're talking to, uh, are there are they under the ACA? Uh, some are, uh, some are not. And and, uh, you know, the ACA, the sign up for it did not go smoothly the rollout was was poorly handled and uh, so there are a lot of people who qualified who were not mm -hmm. were not under it um, but yeah it's it's you know I've talked to to people with and people without um, but I think it's something that the American people are ready for and are going to insist upon and that's going to require the both houses uh, to work together. The Republicans and the Democrats are, are finally going to have to work together. And that's one thing I think I'm, I'm capable of and I've, I've done in my uh, other areas of my life, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to doing that Let's here. hope you can find some of those Republicans in uh, Congress. So final question. All right, we're in a hypothetical world. Good news, you won. You're going to Washington, D.C. Now you have to get yourself on a committee. Which committee do you like? Uh, I think energy and commerce uh, intrigues me, but I would I would certainly have to look into it, talk with people, and and, sure. and see where I might be able to to do the most good. But I uh, I am a big supporter of renewable energies and and beginning to 
we're continuing to cut back on the extraction of, of energy and and get it from the sun and the the wind and and the water mm-hmm. and uh, I think you know ultimately that will be uh, important not just because of global warming which does exist yes we know, uh, you know <laughs> climate change is, is happening folks and uh, and and so yes it's going to be difficult to get Republicans to necessarily uh, you know, a lot of them disregard facts or, or let their ideology decide for them what what is true and what is not to them. Is it their ideology or is it their lobbyists? Uh, yeah, I think it's some of both. Yeah, I think yeah. the, those are are interrelated. But Very but much. anyway, I'm I'm confident. I'm I tend to I consider myself a an optimistic pragmatist, and and I do think that things can happen, but we need people there who are willing to work to make them happen. And that's not what we've been getting, and that's what I hope to bring. All right. Well, listen, I want to thank you for a great conversation. If you want to give out your website. Sure. Uh, we're at uh, www.brentottawayforcongress.com, and that's B-R-E-N-T-O-T-T-A-W-A-Y-F-O-R. And where, we, where, where can we find you next? Wow. Uh, Harrisburg tomorrow, a couple of things, uh, an interview and, a, and the meeting about the uh, infrastructure tomorrow. But uh, I have every county is on the schedule and I'm just going around and, and hoping for opportunities to meet with my opponent uh, in public uh, situations. So far, his scheduling uh, people have had some difficulty uh, finding open dates, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to facing off with him so that the uh, the voters can see us side by side and, right. and make their make their decision. All right. Well, best of luck with your candidacy. And again, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Off to you, Jeremy. All right. A couple of announcements. Um, the Franklin County Coalition for Progress is holding a Common Grounds event this Saturday, September 8th. And the guest is going to be Kenny Wurtenberg. He'll be, uh, he's been on the podcast, mm-hmm. and he'll be conducting a suicide prevention training. That's at the Coil Free Library in downtown Chambersburg, held from 10 a.m. until noon in the conservatory, and coffee is provided by Brussels Cafe. So again, that's this Saturday from 10 to noon at the downtown library. Also, we're looking forward to having Ann Hole back on the podcast sometime yep, next week, favorites. we think. Yep. Yep. And uh, it sounds like she has a... A unique perspective on the burning of Chambersburg, yeah, a story going, we've we've heard a lot, but uh, she's got a different perspective. Yeah, she's going to gonna give us a take not from the military perspective, but more from what the citizens were experiencing. Right. So that should be interesting. Sounds good. Okay, um, that's all I have. Uh, find us online at progresspod.org. Uh, send us an email to uh, progresspod at gmail.com, and find us on Twitter at the Progress Pod. Thanks for listening.